0: Welcome to Emergence Magazine's podcast. I'm Emmanuel Vaughn-Lee, Executive Editor of Emergence Magazine. In each issue, we feature in-depth interviews, narrated essays, and stories, exploring the threads connecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams is a sensei in the Japanese Zen tradition and founder of the Center for Transformative Change. She is the author of Being Black, Zen and the Art of Living with Fearlessness and Grace, and co-author of Radical Dharma, Talking Race, Love, and Liberation. In November, we sat down with Angel at her home in Oakland, California, to talk about her philosophy of radical dharma, which she describes as a path to individual and collective liberation. She also spoke about the widespread crisis of story— and how mainstream institutional religions are largely failing to offer us a new way forward. Angel believes the role of faith leaders now is to help people know themselves within the tribe of our collective humanity, and to challenge us to reach beyond singular narratives and examine our complex histories. One of the things we've been exploring here at Emergence Magazine is the notion that, at the heart of our current ecological, social, and political crisis, potentially lies a deeper spiritual crisis. Mm. This seems to be something that, over the last few years, folks from faith-based traditions and some spiritual teachers, including yourself, are recognizing and beginning to talk about. Mm. As a teacher within the Zen tradition, I'm curious to hear your perspective on what you think the role of faith-based and spiritual traditions is in responding to this underlying spiritual crisis.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the role is to partition. I think that's the thing that comes to mind, first and foremost. And when I say partition, I mean I think more of us have to learn how to speak to people within our faith and then also have to learn the language of speaking to people beyond our faith so that we're not um, recreating the sense of division and separation and a delineation between like we're this and you're that by um by accident right in uh, by not uh being able to speak to people outside of our faith right it's it's really a calling in moment it's like it's a calling in to um our collective belonging not just our individual belonging along the lines of our faith it's not a moment to just call jews in if you're a rabbi it's not a moment to just call muslims in if you're um an imam it's it's a moment to really call everyone in and to actually figure out how it is that we use language in such a way that we certainly are speaking to the people that are of our faith but we're also uh speaking in, into the, like whispering through the people of our own traditions and whispering through their ears into the ears of people that are beyond those faiths and know that we're really calling ourselves in as human beings, that that's, that's what the moment calls for, is to ask us to uh, go beyond obvious tribes and go uh, really to the tribe of our collective humanity.
0: And And do you feel that people outside of those faiths, they, they're they sensing, you know, maybe people who are not part of any faith-based tradition, maybe they're spiritually, maybe they're not, um, have a sense of what's possible if they are aware of the deeper, I would say almost wound that we're dealing with, that it isn't just what we're reading about in the news. Mm-hmm.
1: I think people are aware. I think um, the reason that we're where we are at is that we are uh, much more sensitive to our sense of belonging and to the vastness of the world. And in in some ways, that's really delicious and exciting to some of us and to others of us. That's a real threat that the world is uh, so big and so vast. And it's in that way becomes more important to find your particular place in it. And that I think can draw us into Narrowness, a more narrow view than an expansive view, when you're not clear about your location, and if the people that surround you in your location suggest that you know we in here have to protect ourselves away, you know, from those out there, uh, then you end up with these kind of crises being further deepened uh, in people's hearts and minds, and I think that the role that people in you know faith and spiritual places really have to play is to continue to emphasize that this is not merely a political crisis and it's not going to be solved by political means. It will never be solved by political means. I think that that's, I said that in January, 2016, 17, and I'm more clear of it every single day that um, particularly in this country, you know, there's certainly things that are happening in the world uh, that are amplified and, you know, you can see them replicable in, you know, places all over the world, the kind of um, so-called populist. It it always disturbs me, actually, when we call it a populist message, Um, but the so-called populist messages and the extreme right and extreme conservative views. I think, you know, collectively, this is a sense of a pushback of, wow, the world is changing at a rate that most of us could not have possibly imagined. And as I said, for those of us in which our sensibilities and our worldview actually depends on further and further differentiation, more difference. We actually have come to a place in which we know who we are more fully, more completely by the fact of difference. And so we're actually like, yeah, more difference. You know, transgender folks, okay, I don't understand that, but I'm willing to figure it out. Muslims, yeah, that's not my faith, but, you know, let's check them out and like go and break bread with them and see what that's about. Um, You know, people from uh, other parts of the world that I never even heard of, yeah, get on a plane, let's go there. And their worldview is not so much about the shared worldview of a particular religion or faith or et cetera, but inside those religions, faiths, cultures, tribes, um, identities, orientations, there are some people who are understanding who they are by relating to difference. And there are some people that are still in the location of understanding themselves against difference, and so some people are moving towards difference, more complexity, uh, less binary. Um, you know that that's exciting to them, and that's actually helping them to come to understand more about who they are in themselves. Other people, I think, and I, I wouldn't say this is about negative; it's just about different being in different time spaces in many ways, and people that are of the previous. Or, or the existing, I want to say, existing time in which time moved at a certain pace, and then there are some of us that, you know, by means of technology, media access, the ability to travel to be on the whole other side of the world, um, you know, in within, you know, within a day we can be, you know, in an entire other side of the world. We we are thriving with and into difference difference is actually something that is serving us and serving our sense of knowing who we are and we are becoming into difference versus uh what the world has mostly been for a very long period of time is understanding yourself against difference like i am this and i i and i am not that right i am this because i'm not that i understand myself as who I am because I'm not those other things. And that's I think, is the big split and the big um, struggle that we're having with each other, no matter where we sit inside of different other kinds of lines of difference. So you could be a queer person that is totally actually really not for all of this other kinds of change, And the way that you've come to understand your own queerness is actually against being straight. Or you could be a queer person that is really happy uh, with understanding, wow, I don't even have to be caught in the binary of like, am I queer in a top or a bottom? Or am I queer and, you know, am I more masculine or am I more feminine? You just like, you know, forget the binaries altogether. So I think we're having a conversation about people that are operating in binaries versus people that are non-binary across the board. And non-binary meaning the sense of I have to be either this or that. Is falling away, and paradoxically, it's actually creating polarization. Right? It's really pulling people into different extremes, because it is, I, there They're spiritual crises. These are identity crises. This is how do I know myself? Mm. And and what our what faith leaders' uh, role is is to help people understand how they know themselves. If the if the story of how we come to know ourselves is a generative story then we're in a really good place. If the story of how I know myself is a story that is um, destructive, it takes away from other people, other ways, other, other ways of being and other ways of knowing how to be, then we have a real crisis on our hands. And I think that that's what we
0: have. So in some ways, it's really a crisis of story.
1: It is a crisis of story.
0: And so how can we begin to shift that story?
1: I think we need a new story uh and i i think that that's a that's a big call but i think we have to have a new story i don't think we can actually solve this crisis without actually approaching the con- the idea of having a new story and having a story that at its ground includes all of us. I think most of the nations that we have in the world have been predicated on old stories, and they're confronted with the fact of new realities, and those old stories can't handle the new realities. I think trying to get the stories to evolve to handle the new realities is clearly failing. And uh, the United States more than any other country, I think in many ways, has has the, you know, historic in terms of like a country beyond, you know, say for instance, South Africa that has new constitutions and new documents, et cetera, has the principles and ideals. And we can see still that those principles, ideals can fall quickly away to people that are convicted about the particular story and they want to stay with the story of the people that founded the nation. And that founding of the nation's story did not include my agreement Quality, if that the founding of this nation, if its story did not include my right to be free, my right to love who I want to love, my right to walk the streets, my right to own my own body, then I want a new story. I'm not interested in anyone interpreting the story in a way that might include me or might not. I don't even want to have that conversation mm-hmm. anymore. And I think You know, the holy grail of the United States is the Constitution. And this whole conversation is about the Constitution and whether we're going to interpret it one way or interpret it another way. And that includes faith and includes money and includes the right to happiness and how we want to live and how we're entitled to live and who's included and who's not included, who belongs, who does not belong. It is not a story that I want to continue to uh, scrape at, you know, a way at a policy and try to get people to include me in the story. We need a new story. We need a new America.
0: And isn't part of, I guess, exploring what that new story looks like, really peeling back the layers and examining how we got here, how the story began to take shape, take root, take over?
1: Yes, I think. And going back to faith, unfortunately, even though the the story right the the myth of the American um story is that you know is this tolerant country in fact uh Christianity was uh, clearly favored above everything Christian ideals were built into the fabric of society uh not just in uh in terms of the laws I mean right from the beginning, there were laws that said if you were not Christian, that actually made that, that actually assured that you were uh, going to be a slave, right, right? that you right. you were a slave if you weren't Christian, if you didn't come here Christian, and if you came from Africa, you didn't come here Christian. and that said that therefore you were going to be a slave. Um, and that's but that's built in beyond just legally that's been built into the the structures of our society, uh, what day we take as rest. Uh, all sorts of things, and so I think that as long as people of different faiths didn't interfere with the the the, the narrative of a Christian as a supreme as the supreme religion of the country, then it was okay. But we what we're what we're ending up with is a crisis in which there is a tipping point in in and in which the recognition that Christianity is is not the predominant overwhelming religion from the perspective of it doesn't have the right to actually determine the paths and the ways of being of other religions, other faiths, other ways of even considering faith and how we consider faith. And so I it, this is really important. We have to go back and see that the this country and many other nations were actually founded on principles that as I said, did not meet and were not able to contend with the reality that we have now. It's kind of a paradox because, in some ways, it's exactly the way some of the ideals were written that have kind of pushed us to this edge, and now people want to claw it back. And I just don't think that's possible anymore.
0: Hmm. So there's a interesting trend. And I'm sure you've observed this that even in the last you know, ten, fifteen years, more and more people are defining themselves as spiritual but not aligning with a particular faith-based tradition. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you could say in other parts of the world this has happened earlier. Like people, A lot of people in Europe, for instance, are, yes. are less um, aligned with traditional religious dogmatic structures as they were in the past, and that's starting to change here in the U.S., especially among young people yeah. um, who are yet yearning for meaning and yearning for connection that... Um, might have been described within a more religious context in the past. That's right. Um, And so going back to what you just said about, you know, almost like do we need a new definition of what faith is? How Mm. does that play um, a part in this evolution of searching for a structure that one might call spiritual or religious?
1: Well, I think that one of the things we have to say is that the reason that this is is because faith has failed us Uh, Traditional religions have failed us in many ways, and they have failed us because of their uh, capitulation to patriarchy, because of their capitulation to uh, heteronormativity, their capitulation to uh, capitalism. Uh, so many of our faiths have fallen prey to capitalism that the younger people also we recognize are are also kind of down on capitalism and down on materialism. So most of the our traditions have really fall fallen prey to a materialistic worldview um, inside of how they express themselves and their inability. Um, and I want to say that's particularly true of Christianity in this country. Their inability to confront really uh imp- significant historical realities means that they r- the result is is that they lose out on their fundamental role as being a place for healing, a place for inspiration a com- and a place for community. You can't actually do the healing part. You can have some community and you can definitely have beautiful words and inspiration, but you can't really do the healing part if you have this huge wound of slavery of uh, racism, of white supremacy, that you're refusing to contend with, because much of Christianity has, in fact, been had had those very things baked into it. The prophetic voice that is missing from most of our religions, because we um, have been made corrupt through capitalism, through, you know, uh, materialism, I think is what has is failing people miserably. And at the same time, human beings are always going to search for meaning and want something, someone that is going to really speak to the truth of their realities as those realities have unfold. But if you stand on the pulpit and you say, well, your reality doesn't matter because you're trans or your reality doesn't matter because you're, you know, uh, you're you're, in, you're an immigrant and, you know, you're not legal in this country or your reality doesn't matter because you're sick of the sick faith and, you know, you don't uh, obey the same God that we obey, That then you're going to lose people. And you may, you're not only are you going to lose people that are those particular people, but you are also going to lose the friends of those people the lovers of those people, the people that are connected to those people that may seem to fit exactly in the pocket of your particular faith. But love trumps all of those things. And so you're losing people to the fact of intersectionality, the fact of interconnectivity that is alive, that is thriving, and our religious faiths have failed to be able to respond to those realities.
0: And yet, Regardless of the changes happening within traditional religious structures, people aren't going to stop searching for love, searching for meaning.
1: Yeah, we are searching for belonging. That's what we do. We want to be connected. We are curious. We want to care. We want to be compassionate. And the religions that continue to try to inspire people along the lines of hate and fear do so at their own peril. That's Mm. just what is true. It is going to take maybe longer than most of us would like, and it will cost more lives, than uh, anyone would care to count, but they will do that at their own peril. The human heart is not designed to carry hate in that way, and the fact of our ability to see each other and witness each other uh, takes away the strength of those tight and narrow tribalism, I'm going to say narrow tribal views, it takes away from that because you can look at someone on television and you can like, be like, wow, that transgender person is totally cool. And wow, that was awkward. And it like, you know, offends my faith. And now what do I do with that? So we are the the fact of our ability to see each other to relate to each other to enter into spaces and to share space is Completely upending the narrow views that religions put out, because people are contending with reality, not just with ideas, not just with beliefs, mm. and and you you have to bring uh, belief and faith into alignment with people's realities. And if you don't, you will fail. That is just simply the truth.
0: You know, going back to so many of the points you just raised, you know that in America here, um, so much of the story is grounded as a Christian story. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet this is a country of so many faiths and especially in the last 50 years it seems like that diversity has grown as so many traditions that come from the East have been further integrated into American society I'm thinking of the migration of so many different uh, Buddhist traditions especially that you are of course a part of and I'm I'm really curious to hear your perspective as a teacher within the Zen tradition um, of the role that what might be described more as a spiritual tradition rather than a religious faith by uh, by many people, the role that those spiritual traditions have in this new story and helping shift the old story or offering a way for people to understand some of these things.
1: Yeah, I think our role is to disarm ourselves of the kinds of things that will cause that failure that I spoke of. Mm -hmm. I think our role is to not so tightly hold on to Um, I always say that I'm not nation-building around Zen. I'm not nation-building around Buddhism. I think we have to let go of nation-building. And what we're seeing with the uh, introduction and the uh, taking up in the water of different faiths and traditions is people being able to organize themselves and relate to things that actually speaks to the complexity of the truth of who they are, in a way that wasn't possible before, because we simply didn't have the access. So we couldn't. We simply couldn't see as many faces. We couldn't see. You know, we just sort of. It was like a one size fits all, and you just got this thing, and it was like, okay, you're either going to be Catholic or you're going to be Protestant, and like, you know, if neither one of those outfits fit you, you know, too bad. But now we're like, whoa, like not just you know am i going to be catholic or protestant but i can choose buddhism but i can choose tibetan buddhism i can choose from four different schools of tibetan buddhism and zen and korean zen and uh Thich Nhat hans community and like i like i have all of these acts. we are more complex human beings technology is opening that up for us uh, an awareness of our complexity and we need a language in order to speak to that complexity And our role as the traditions is to actually offer people a language to have a communion with themselves, with God, with the divine, with the great matter. It is not our role to have them have a communion with our pockets, But our role is to offer people the language in which they can meet themselves, meet their God, meet their creator, meet their divine, and to not be mediators who uh, steal the show and mistake ourselves for that divinity, to mistake ourselves for that knowing, that truth, that power, that witness. Our role is just to offer the the logos, the word, just to give people the word and to get out of the way.
0: I mean, it seems like a a good segue into this notion of radical dharma that you explore in your in your most recent book, um, and the liberation that you speak of there. Yeah. So I wonder if you could um, maybe firstly explain a little bit about what you mean by radical dharma and how you how you explore that yeah. through this concept of liberation, which is um, quite expansive.
1: Yeah. So we we talk about. Dharma is from a um as a Sanskrit word that it has lots of different meanings, and it's one of the reasons that I use it as opposed to saying <laughs> this word that has now quickly become a bad word, which is just truth um, <laughs> Dharma is great because it has all of these like layers to it, and so it is universal truth, but it also is one's calling and it's the law and it's the way things are, and it's um, how I'm called to be into, you know, my existence, and so it has all of these layers to it. It encompasses the whole of that in this dynamic uh, give and take, and if you can imagine vibrating inside of both my individual specific truth and the way that that matters to me and is important and uh, en- enlivens my my existence, but also. The, the truth that is so much bigger than me, so much not about me, that is persistent and ongoing and does not arise and fall away, but is uh, just the the truth that is that that governs all of us. the law. That governs all of us, but also the way in which I unfold into a reality in which no particular law can define who I am and how I am. So radical dharma is an invitation to look at not just the realities and ideas and concepts and beliefs that serve the things that keep your ego intact, keep you feeling safe, that serves the the views of of reality that continue to keep oppressive oppressive systems in place, like patriarchy, like white supremacy, supremacy of any kind, religious supremacy. Um, serves narratives of like the sense of that there's a binary of gender and that people can only exist inside of these binaries or ways of loving or ways of knowing each other or. Uh, that, that economies have to afold, unfold in a particular way. Even that, radical dharma asks you to look at histories that maybe you haven't acknowledged. Look at parts, experiences in your own life that you haven't acknowledged, ways that things have impacted how you show up in the world, whether you are open or whether you're more closed, whether you're more receptive or whether you're more uh, narrow, whether you are, operate out of a location of fear and resistance to difference or whether you operate out of a location that is spacious and curious and and open to difference and, and want to understand how difference operates and and why, in fact, and difference uh, fe- feels like it's something that troubles you or or uh, you know makes you come a little bit undone so radical dharma asks people particularly people that have taken on dharmic religions uh, you know the eastern religions of yoga and buddhism but also beyond that Also, um, people as you know, people of the Jewish faith, people of Muslim faith, people of the Sikh faith, people of you know whatever, uh, or of the spiritual but not religious, to be willing to look at the complexities of things that um, make up make up our realities, not just the realities that it makes us comfortable and keeps our story intact right that keeps our narrative intact radical dharma says there there's no such thing as a singular narrative so will you look at the whole truth and not just the story that you want to tell yourself not just the story that you've inherited not just the story of your privilege and your entitlement to your privilege but what is your privilege based on who is it costing mm-hmm. Uh, Not just the narrative of capitalism is all we have, but like, why has our imagination been stolen in such a way by capitalism that we can't even imagine a different possibility for different economies and different ways of trading and being in relationship to each other? Radical Dharma is an invitation to interrogate not just one truth, but as many truths as one can encounter and and to recognize that actually those truths are going to keep like coming into into solidity and then falling away over and over again so that what we live with is a willingness to be curious and contemplative and courageous about the lives the life and the lives that we have the lives that we inherited but also the lives that other people have inherited and really trying to um allow for the, the The multiplicity of truths and ways of being and knowing that exist and make up make up our our lives and, and, and the way we understand our lives.
0: And so the liberation that you're speaking of is, uh, it seems to be from hearing you talk about it, and from from my reading of your book, it's uh, a taking responsibility and a letting go, a taking a responsibility and a letting go and a continuous cycle of that and um, a liberation that isn't just about one's own liberation, one's of oneself from one from one's ego, which might be the traditional That's reading right. that comes from the Buddhist teachings, but a much broader letting go after taking responsibility uh, of what is oppressing us within our society or within our narratives.
1: That's right. It's a liberation, um, you know, the traditional sense would be like the liberation of the mind, that we want to, you know, free the mind. But this is um, actually about liberating the the body and liberating ourselves from from narratives that are harmful, from narratives that limit us, from belief systems that uh, keep us away from our de- deepest capacity to love and to feel and to be in relationship with ourselves, first and foremost, mm. and with others. It's really a liberation, you know, of ourselves into the collective liberation of ev- of everyone else. Even though I often say that it's not about ourselves and it is about collective liberation, people think I, I mean that we should focus only on collective liberation. But I really think that in a society that is, uh, tends to be you know, very individualistic, that the main challenge that people have is that we're actually out of, deep, out of relationship with ourselves. And so paradoxically, the work actually does start with ourselves, but we understand the work of liberation to be not about ourselves, but through ourselves, through ourselves into collective liberation. So I need to understand what it is that makes me look at you in a way in which I feel contraction and realize that that contraction I feel is not about you at all. It's actually about me. It's about the ways that I'm ob- I'm obstructed, the ways that I have a belief or that I've been told something, whether that's out of fear or whether that's out of resentment or whether that's out of some notion that you're better than me and so that I can't actually look at you and relate to you as a human being on equal standing uh, because of my own internalized depression, that my work is to actually liberate myself from the ways in which I'm kept from my own heart. This is not a conversation about, Oh, I should be liberated from that so that I don't see you in a particular way because that's bad for you. This is a conversation about I want to be liberated from that because I recognize that that's a limitation on my heart. That's a limitation on my love. That's a limitation on my compassion uh that you get the benefit is awesome and that's where we head into collective liberation and we uh it, that it begins to expand that way but i'm actually ask actually i'm asking people to be really really selfish and to say you are entitled you have a right and you have a responsibility to be liberated from anything that obstructs your heart you have a right you have a responsibility to liberate yourself to self liberate from anything that is keeping you small and contracted and limited and having you feel that your uh, value your worth is predicated on material resources I'm actually asking people to be really radically selfish actually in order that we liberate ourselves into the collective, in order that we come from a deep knowing that we are not separate from those other beings. The way that we do that is not to like go and like love up on the other beings and then try to figure out every possible permutation of being, but actually look at the ways in which we have ourselves have been limit Limited the way in which our own suffering has been carried to, to a degree that it hinders our open, spacious, full humanity. And that releases us into a, a deep relationship with everyone and everything that is not about figuring everyone else out, but actually figuring ourselves out. And when we figure ourselves out, then we know the 10,000 things.
0: Mm. So... There's this personal development that must occur in order to be able to step into the possibilities of being a much more aware, responsible, compassionate human being. And for a long time, it seems that traditions were always teaching that first you work on oneself Mm -hmm. and through that personal liberation, you then become Uh, more aware of someone's like stepping out of concentric circles almost like of the wider reality that you can be aware of participate in and contribute to and there's also been it seems like this awareness that can you hold also that collective narrative at the same time time that you're doing this personal development is that what you're 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 saying is possible
1: i'm saying that uh well first i don't think we are we get developed i think that we get undeveloped Hmm. and so i think we um remove the things that hinder us, that at the core that we are those compassionate, caring human beings that yearn for connection and belonging. And I think that the narrative that it's something that we have to get to is part of the thing that is a challenge in the way that we've been telling a story. It's an old story. I think that really the story is that we are essentially Buddhas, that we are essentially divine, uh, and that there are All sorts of things that get in the way of that, uh, not the least of which are oppressive structures in society. And as a result of that, we have to look at the oppressive structures in society because they are hindering us from being our full selves. Mm They are hindering us. And so that other path, which is nice and linear and it's like, okay, let's go and do that. And we kind of work on ourselves and maybe in like six, seven lifetimes, we know we might pull it together and then we'll be useful to the world. Actually, what we have to understand is that I came gorgeous and genius and magic and and perfect and aware and compassionate and wanting to love people and wanting to be connected and You know, by a series of unfortunate events, societal uh, structures hindered my love and my compassionate and my desire to be connected to you and to see you and to relate to you and to be curious about you uh, with racism, racialization, with uh, classism, with... um, uh, exceptionalism of my American identity with uh, gender dynamics. And so, like, I've got to be weird with you because you're, uh, you know, cisgendered male and all of those things. It's just, I'm, I, so I'm li- literally liber- being liberated from not liberating into something. I don't have to develop anything. I have to just cultivate the natural basic goodness of my humanity that I arrived here with and that other things obstructed uh, as as I went along. And if I want to be liberated from those things, then I'm going to take up racialization. I'm going to take up gender binaries that uh, keep me from being in the complexity of my sexual energy and my the, the energy of my romantic love. And, and also keeps me from me understanding that there's a difference between romantic love and all of the other kinds of love. So I'm doing those things and doing that work in order to liberate myself, not as a linear path that somehow society's expressions and and the, the, the communities and, that we exist in are separate from me. And so I'm going to work on me first and then get to them. That suggests that I'm separate. And all of the ways in which we've been teaching that misses the point. We're not separate. So everything that's out there is about me. And, is, and I work on that because that's about me being liberated. I don't work on that because I think, like, I, they need me to fix them. That centers me again and makes me somehow self-important. I need to fix that because I want to be free. I want to be liberated.
0: Right, which, and that, that desire to be free is often the calling that brings people to spiritual and faith-based traditions to begin with.
1: Well, I mean, I, I, think, I think people want to be free. I think people want relief. And I think the religion's failure is that it's not talking to people about how to be free. They used to. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to. Mm -hmm. So people want relief from suffering. They want relief from a a lack of understanding, um, a, a lack of coherent understanding of the meaning of life. What am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? Why is this happening in this way? And what do I do about it? and what we've been doing is you know selling them um you know prayer books and manuals and things like that rather than saying you know you have a divine right to be free and let's work on that we've been giving people instruction classes and workshops and you know uh whatever else it is that we can sell them, sell them because we've we've capitalized the The marketplace of of spirituality and, and made it something that you have to get. And I'm really clear that it's not about something that you have to get. It's about something you have to give up, something you have to let go of, something you have to drop and reveal, have yourself revealed unto yourself and just give yourself, give you the opportunity to fall in love with exactly who you are without telling you that you have to become something else.
0: Emergence Magazine is an initiative of Kalliopea Foundation. Our original essays, in-depth interviews, films, and rich multimedia explore the threads connecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Our theme music is composed by H. Scott Salinas. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. To subscribe to our newsletter and check out more of our stories, visit Emergence Magazine dot org.